that's a really good start. Yep. That's what we call a cold open, baby. You, you, I don't know what you were doing there. You were like, I just imagine Cody was like, uh, like his tongue had like rolled out, like like a like a you know like an animated movie, like rolled out like three feet, and he was like like a fruit by the up. foot. Yeah, 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 like fruit by the foot. That's what that sound was. I was gawking at somebody. Steam coming out of my ears. Oh, that's actually oh, that's yes. actually what, that's actually what happens when you do the thing that this guy does in the movie. Oh, we should we should. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the hand, but uh, funniest uh, animated like comic movie mannerisms uh the awuga's got to be top five the tongue roll-ups got to be top maybe five. top three yeah you're yeah, right i mean anything that has a name right like anything the anvil, that, the like, anvil every, drop, everybody yes. in the world knows what the awuga is just by the fact that it's called the awuga and i feel like that really makes inroads for it as one of the best when yeah, somebody yeah. hits something and their arms and legs just go parallel to the ground, like like they had so much momentum, very that their good. extremities just fly forward. That's, That's <laughs> that is my favorite. A very good one. Yes, my favorite cartoon jokes of all time are like in the old Tom and Jerry's when like usually they have like cutesy little animal voices, but like every now and then, just like once per episode or something, when Tom is is hurt and it's usually one of the more minor injuries, and he'll just like do the sound of an adult man being severely injured, where it, where it, like <laughs> he'll like stub his toe or something, and it'll just be like ow. Oh. It's like it's so funny. To, I don't know why, but like every every other time, it's like oh, oh, oh. And every now and then he'll just be like, "God damn it!" Like it's fantastic. <laughs> My favorite Tom and Jerry quote. It. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Oh fuck. Die, <laughs> <son of> bitch. <laughs> oh, oh shit. All right. We should oh, probably Anyway, that's all the vulgarity for this episode. Now we're about to keep it very PC for the rest of this, I'm sure. Uh, sure. Uh, sure. Well. <laughs> as, we, right. as we discuss uh, this visionary director who had the um, the great wisdom and courage to ask, what if Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree gave handjobs? Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank uh, you very much yeah. No, yeah. for listening to Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast where I guess we talk about the giving tree and hand jobs. Uh, you can find us on Trilo- on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org where you can buy merch, get tickets, and a whole bunch of cool stuff and uh, neat ways to support them, including, I believe, in-person showings, but limited seating uh, by the time that this episode releases. My name is Jason Daphnis. No one wants me. And you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Jigalodi Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Jigalodi underscore BH. This podcast is the reason I became a tailor. My name is Harry. You can find me at Shitakiri. Uh My name's Aaron. Uh, guys, I, I can't think of a quote from this movie. Can anybody uh, give me a hand? Fucking classic. That's not. <laughs> that's no, you, I got uh, it. I got yeah, you, Aaron. Yeah, thank you. Uh, find me on Twitter at RB, please. Sort uh, of.
Yeah, in in ways. I guess you've surprised me with how on and offline you are right now. But today we're going to be talking about The Hand. It is part of Eros, an anthology film on love and sex that released in 2004. Uh, This short was directed by Wong Kar Wai, and it was presented in its extended cut as part of a streaming promotion that ends, uh, I think, the day after this recording um, that is sort of uh, cataloging a lot of Wong Kar Wai's work for the first time in 4K. So apologies if you weren't able to get in on it beforehand. Well, I guess we'll put out a tweet or something to let you know that this is the last day. Uh, Maybe it'll come to more conventional platforms in the future. But uh, I think Aaron wants to tell us about what a bit about what this movie is actually about. Every 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 episode, Jason encroaches more on my summary duties by presenting more of the background context that I've tried. I don't recognize that. I don't recognize that. We're we're colonizing you, bro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can the, you, troop uh, station, the troops stationed at the Jason introduction, Aaron summary border are purely for our protection, purely for the protection fe- of the Jason, uh, Jason state. These fellows if are you, about to throw hands. They, if you wanted, if you wanted to watch Eros as a whole, though, I know the hand in the 4K, you know, restoration is not available outside of you know the certain streaming dates. But I, can you rent Eros? Do we know that? Can somebody look that up? I guess maybe you could do that. Uh, you, but yes, you can. What do you mean? Sure. Okay. Can you? I mean, most movies you can rent, right? Like it's it's probably well, not that tough to find. It's 2004. I'm sure you can find it, but we're 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 going off on a tangent about the this film being hard to. Anyway, uh, yes, this is the hand. As Jason mentioned, it is a 2004 film, part of the anthology film Eros. Uh, Wong Kar Wai was one third, Steven Soderbergh and Michelangelo Antonioni, uh, developed a bunch of short films. This was the first of three in the film Eros, again, the hand, the short film looks at the various meetings over a period of time between two characters, Miss Hua played by Gong Li, uh, who is a high end call girl in 1960s Hong Kong and Zhang played by Chang Chen, uh, Taylor who makes clothes for Miss Hua and, uh, desires her, uh, sexually actually, uh, after she uses her hand to please him during their first encounter, writing the summary, uh, made me realize there's really no professional or kind of casual way to talk about a hand job. It's kind of impossible to do. It's inherently kind of a comical or manual stimulation. Yes, uh, the, anything that is not just Way saying worse. hand job is, is is weirdly clinical, like Harry uh, just showed us. Uh, but yes, when when Eros first came out, Wong Kar Wai's The Hand was generally seen as the best of the three short films. I think people generally like Steven Soderbergh's contribution, and Antonioni's segment uh, was generally disliked. That's my summary. We haven't really gotten way too like particularly critical in these summaries. I appreciate Let, that you took a stand. Let's give him a hand. Oh, man. Yeah, I was going to say multiple people's microphones are on. Uh, I'll give my quick thoughts. This was an appreciably, I guess, shorter cut of a Wong Kar Wai work. Um, The shortest, obviously, that I think any of us have seen here, uh, unless one of you has been nighttiming with the shorts um, otherwise in his commercials. Uh, I I quite enjoyed it. It was, I think it benefits from the, from a shorter runtime. I think it also benefits, uh, as I mentioned with days of being wild. I really like when Wong Kar Wai has jumped back into the sixties, sort of a a previous era in Hong Kong rather than more contemporary. He's a lot of his movies are in the eighties and nineties. But this and days of being wild, both are set in the sixties. And then I think one of the upcoming episodes that we're going to be talking about, but we will have released by this time. I shouldn't have gone down this tangent. I really like the sixties for Wong Kar Wai style. Um, it's fun to see a lot of his same visual elements come out in this, but a lot of them are like put in the back drawer for, uh, in favor of, you know, more of a condensed style. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I, I guess, you know, building my familiarity with Wong Kar Wai as I'm going, it's not easy for me to say what 
particularly works, but I'm, uh, I'm hoping that the three of you can help me fill that in. Sure. Hope so. Uh, yeah, this was one of the, the entries in the Wong Kar, Wong Kar Y series that I wasn't sure, uh, what to expect, not only because it's not necessarily one of his greatest hits necessarily, um, as we've become somewhat accustomed to seeing these past weeks, but I've also, or re- I guess rather also because it's part of an anthology and that, you know, could shake things up a little bit. Um, but of course, I enjoyed my time uh, on some level with this. Uh, Wong Kar Wai makes good movies. Uh, got it. Got to hand it to him. Got to hand it to him. Wow. Um, anyways, uh, we're recording these just a little out of order at the moment. Um, later on, I'll, you know, I'm sure we'll be interested to eventually watch Happy Together and In the Mood for Love for episodes, and then maybe 2046 at some point uh, on on my on my own or on our own. Um, anything is possible. Um, and just kind of using those as data points to further map out the progression of Wong Kar Wai's style in the sort of ways that we've talked about his style up to now. Uh, the camera here is, I think, less in your face than it is in something like Chunking or Fallen Angels, and there are fewer Dutch angles to be found. But these people are still being depicted in sort of unconventional ways visually. Um, Ms. Hua is uh, shown through a mirror, I feel like, about half the time. And um, whenever she and um, Zhang are in a scene, uh, one of them is often obscuring the other in some way. Uh, maybe it's because I'm fresh off finishing scenes from a marriage uh, just a little bit ago, but some of that obscuring felt like a version of the Bergman shot, as we've maybe come to call it. Um, but in any case, uh, all that comes together to create a sort of like quiet distance between the two. Uh, and despite this being a more condensed story, just given the runtime, there's still that same yearning you feel in any of the movies that we've talked about from this current series. Um, we're making time for uh, a Jin's apprentice, as he's referred to, um, to sit with his thoughts because it's through his pensiveness, his emotions, and his like facial tics that the story is told. And I guess in that way, this still feels very much like vintage Wong Kar Wai, even if it's a little more uh, reined in, maybe. But uh, but yeah, as I said, uh, I like how this felt. I will keep this briefer because uh, this movie is briefer. So uh, with that, I will hand the mic over to Harry. Wow, really good scenes from a marriage comparison, Cody. That's that's awesome. Um, I would say that there are some pretty understated but inventive um, shots and, and uses of the camera in this, but I would agree that it's a little bit more restrained in general. Um, it's also, I think, like at least in my mind, a noticeably different physical camera than Wong Kar Wai usually uses. The shots just looked different to me. That might be a function of it being 2004 now when this was shot, or it might just be a different style. Um, As Cody pointed out, um, this is going to be released out of order because this is the last film chronologically we're watching. But as of this recording, we haven't um, watched happy together or in the mood for love. I think if we had watched in the mood for love, that would inform quite a lot of what we're talking about here. So that's like a little disclaimer. Um, I'm personally really glad we're recording on in the mood for love last because it to me is sort of a culmination of, um, of a particular idea that Wong Kar Wai is headed toward. Um, this feels a little bit like Wong Kar Wai playing the, the hits to me, but that being said, it is a masterful version of that. Um, I think that, this this more than anything demonstrates to me just how well Wong Kar Wai understands his own story or his own um, themes, his own sort of um, methodology and ideology for what he's trying to bring forth with with what he's doing with his particular um, cinematic sense. Um, and this feels like a really controlled, really like like um, 
impressive version of that. It makes sense that this is an anthology. You kind of get the, the sense that he wanted to give you like his best foot forward sort of like um, a shot of Wong Kar Wai, right? And I think that's exactly what this accomplishes. Um, I also just like purely from like a fanboy perspective, it's so gratifying to me that that they come to Wong Kar Wai with like, okay, we're making this movie called Eros. It's supposed to be about eroticism and sexuality. And, and Wong Kar Wai like thinks you can see him thinking for like 30 seconds. And he's like, okay, what does that mean to me? It means people who are very sad, uh, who are longing for each other and who are doomed to never get what they want. Right. Because what could be more erotic than that? According to Wong Kar Wai, it's, it's perfect, right? It's exactly what you would expect from him. Uh, and he delivers. Um, and in the process, as he does with many of his other best hits, he actually has a lot to say about um romance and um relationships as they regard the living of one's life and identity in this even in a short segment there's a lot to dig into so i'm excited to talk about it yeah um i, I following up on some of the stuff uh i guess that harry said and kind of my own opinions here uh, i i quite like the hand uh i think that the hand is in my reading uh kind of a very interesting mix of uh, interesting class politics mixed up with Wong Kar Wai's usual kind of mix of sensuality and, and these kind of dreamlike vibes. Um, I think that, uh, again, we should note that we are watching this kind of out of order. I know Harry just mentioned that, but uh, I, I do think that that quite informed uh, my watch of it. Um, the camera here is much more still uh, and restrained compared to uh, most of his earlier films. I think all of his earlier films, I would say. Um, I think that that if Fallen Angels was kind of the culmination so far of Wong Kar Wai's uh, typical style, uh, maybe even bordering at moments on kind of hinting at, at this kind of self-parody, I think that the hand is the exact opposite. Uh, you know, kind of a lot of the, the same feelings and moods delivered uh, in a similar manner, but in a completely different fashion. I think that's Damn, interesting. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm curious whether Happy Together and In the Mood for Love, which I think are are generally two of his better regarded films, I, I'm curious to see uh, if if that kind of shows the same trend, because those are the, the two after Fallen Angels. So I'm, I'm curious, like, maybe he does sl- start to slow down the camera, start to do kind of a lot of, of kind of longer, stiller shots. I'm, I'm curious. Um uh, as far as kind of the, the content of the film, I mean, I think Gong Li is very, very good in this. Uh, uh, Chang Chen is very good as well. I think due to the nature of the film, he's not given quite as much time to shine. Um, I think that, that Wong Kar Wai specifically, uh, it's nice to see him move away from some of the thematic tropes that he's used over the last few films, uh, specifically you know, technology and the ability and inability to convey emotion over great distance. Um, I think he's still able to say a lot of similar things with... Um, you know, uh, the clothes that people wear, right? Uh, I think that kind of tied up in that is also this interesting thing about the relationship of people from two different classes who rely on each other uh, from a business standpoint and how that relationship impacts the possibility of a romantic relationship. Um, So overall, I think that this is, uh, for a film that is kind of slow moving and kind of quiet at times, I think that it's an incredibly solid 50 minutes. And I think that the amount of just good shit to think about that Wong Kar Wai is able to, to fill the 50 minutes with is, is quite impressive. So yeah, I would say that this is well worth seeking out. I imagine if you're listening to this, you've probably seen it, but um, if not, then yeah, definitely uh, rent Eros and uh, you can watch the other two shorts if you feel like it. The word I keep coming back to is languid. This is a languid movie. It is no, do no small part to like the 
shooting and the lighting too it's like seems very naturalistic where a lot of what we've watched from Ron Carway so far has been occasionally like ethereal like there'll be something that sticks out some like a, a lot of uh what's that effect called like a bloom around a lot of things this movie right. has some of that and some of those warmer tones but it's not like that's not where that's not its operating level usually if it's using that it's to a very specific visual panache whereas in other movies it's just like part of every shot almost Aaron you got a thought before I go forward yeah um, I was gonna this- Oh, I'm sorry. I oh. thought you said Harry. Go ahead, Aaron. Aaron, oh, yeah. you got a thought before I go forward? <laughs> uh, we will both talk at the same. No, uh, I, yeah, real quick. And then, uh, Harry, go ahead. I guess the, I was going to say that I think some of that may be due to, and again, hey, I, I might watch Happy Together and In and, and the Mood for Love and this it might shit on everything I'm saying here. But uh, I believe that a lot of, of the hand is specifically uh, meant as kind of uh, uh, like an homage or reference to Antonioni's own kind of older work. I think the hand specifically, I, I'm getting this from an IndieWire article from 2004 when Eros first came out. Um, it, uh, it specifically was saying that the, the, the theme of like a hand is something that is found often in Antonioni's work and that a lot of what Wong Kar Wai might be doing here might be kind of referencing, uh, you know, kind of this older filmmaker, um, which is kind of funny considering that Antonioni's short was so shitted on. I, the, the, the review and in, in mention, which, which praises uh, the hand quite a bit and then uh, does not like Antonioni's uh, segment says, uh, it's sad to think how thrilling this kind of filmmaking once was now done poorly. It forcefully reminds us how much things have changed and in how many ways. So uh, there you go. Wow, great point. I was just going to say that um, that languid nature also sort of, uh, in classic Wong Kar Wai style, it mirrors uh, Miss Hua's sort of um, persona, right? Like her sort of, not not exactly laziness, but, but her self-assured sort of like deliberateness um, is so sexually powerful. Um, and so much of what um, our boy... Uh, Xiao Zhang is uh, attracted to um, and then it, it becomes a different thing right like a different kind of, of languidness when she becomes ill right but like at, at all points like the, the rhythm of this movie sort of matches the interiority of the characters yeah not like like you can clearly spot the, the climax moments of this movie um, while watching the hand <laughs> I I almost felt like I almost felt like Hideo Kojima in a weird way. And that's a reference that I know Cody oh is going to get right off the top of my, right off, you know, how are you going to pull this one? Oh yeah. No, like, like, so Hideo Kojima had, and, and not as a creator, but just like, it made me think of him because he's always so focused on like the reading way too deep into the individual symbolisms of things that maybe aren't quite as deep as he wants them to be. So when I do that, I think I'm being Hideo Kojima right now. And the way that I watched this movie was almost through those eyes of like, looking at the hand and the way that this movie uses hands and the way that people communicate with through, through hands and with hands being like a tool for understanding and, uh, and identifying and sort of navigating ourselves and others. And like, you're saying this is a strand film. I'm saying that this is a strand film. Like every single thing in a work of Hideo Kojima's, uh, is built from one word, one concept, one idea, one execution, and just blown out into that. The stick and the rope are like embody all human interactions in, you know, for the history of mankind to Hideo Kojima. And through that same lens, like this movie with the way that it shows and the way that it uses and the way that characters use their hands and like they're, uh, identified by or they are sort of, um, I don't know, like it, it made me think of the way that uh, what's his name? The assassin from um, 
Fallen Angels, uh, one of our previous episodes, uh, he says that he get that he got the job and that he's good at it because he's he's lazy because he likes other people to do the setting up for him and he can just come in and clean up. And in the way, in the same way that he's good at that, Miss Wah tells um, uh, Zhang that he needs experienced hands to be a good tailor. That he needs to like uh, become like he needs to self actualize in a way before mm-hmm. he's able to relate to people like her to like to find. Uh, you know, whatever form of, of love that he's pursuing, whether that's, you know, uh, physical, sensual, or, you know, a more, a deeper human connection. It like, these feel like superficial readings, but it's what stuck out to me. And then like when the movie does things like establishing shots are just her hand on the bed with, you know, adorned by jewelry and stuff. It's like, how much do I ignore that? How much do I think this movie is, is surface level focused on those kinds of things? Yeah. yeah, this, this seems. Uh, it seems like you're you're saying. Uh, I think. Am I just reading the screenplay at this point? I mean, I, I think you're you're reading what I think is I think uh, very much intended uh, uh, symbolic and thematic uh, content for this film. Yeah, I mean, not, not to not to dig into the psychology of Daphnis, but you. I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to be afraid of of symbolism. Like I, I think that was a good that was a good reading that you should. <laughs> lean into you're not always being Hideo Kojima I so, mean so what, the... so what you're saying here is that that he's like a mockingbird right and that he doesn't harm anybody and that they both are peaceful in their nature <laughs> are you saying that that's something that might be intended by this book here because I don't understand what you're talking about. I didn't I wasn't trying to <laughs> get right. your ass Jason all I'm right I can I, am, I can tell just real quick I am sort of furious that you're that we got to Hideo Kojima from Wong Kar Wai. I think that they are the two most diametrically opposed creators <laughs> maybe ever. Wong Kar Wai is like one of the like sexiest most sensual filmmakers and Hideo Kojima is maybe the least sexy fil- like He's a he's a 12 year old with an 80 million dollar budget. Yeah. Did we not joke about uh uh Christopher Nolan being the anti Am I am I You're right. No, like, you're right. Remember that's, that's right. <laughs> Cuz Christopher Christ- Nolan is very similarly but the Christopher anti Nolan is, is is the Hideo Kojima. He is the Hideo Kojima of movies. That's exactly right. Uh, we've got Cody with his hands up. I put my hands up. Y'all are playing my song, except for what I assume are a bunch of video game guy references. Is that <laughs> inaccurate? Inaccurate. Christopher Nolan made the Batman trilogy of movies. Oh, Cody. my mistake. Okay, I uh, I will um, sort that differently in my mind brain. Then, um, yeah, I, I guess as like a, a support to what jason um was putting forth i think like like while watching this my my brain was kind of floating between different like all like parallel universe versions of like this this premise uh or like the the final product of this movie like in less careful hands this could easily come off as like a short a short film yeah a short film like competition challenge of just like make a movie where it's you know like the central premise is just every everything is hands and everything derives from the importance of hands <laughs> and like i was just kind of laughing to myself and i think this i think the hand uh released in 2004 the extended cut like tiptoes that line very carefully of like we came into this pro- like wanting to be <laughs> a little absurd we're making hand jokes and references um like while watching it's very it's this mo- this uh, uh, short movie, however you want to characterize it, it's almost an hour long. Like Wonka Wai is taking it very seriously. The material feels like it's taking itself very seriously. And, and like everything that is hand-based or hand-focused feels very uh, intentional and good. 
um, the the cross cutting sequence with um, with uh, the apprentice eating and uh, I was going to bring that up exactly. Yep. Yeah, and and Miss Miss Hua using her hands to make food is like low key one of the steamiest things I've ever seen. Well, and then <laughs> in, and then it comes, it cuts right to uh, his master, the the tailor master, being like, "You've been in the bathroom for hours. What are you doing in there? Get out of there!" And he's just right. like, "I'll be out in a minute." Right. And, and this, uh, yes, very good, uh, <laughs> very good transition. Um, and it gets to the point where like the, the movie itself evolves before, you know, the end of the hour or whatever, to the point where the, the things that are created by these hands take on meaning of their own. I th- like Miss Hua has, I guess they sort of have, have a dialogue at the end where they're talking about these clothes. You know, I still have your clothes. Most of them are brand new. And, um, Miss Hua says something to the effect of like, I can't wear those anymore. Like those days are behind me. And like, she's talking about herself. She's talking about her relationship with this, this man, which was never really much of a relationship anyway, because it was so like, like behind closed doors, you know, we're not meeting each other's glances. And it's so, it's so weirdly powerful in a way that like, I don't know, I, I got to feel like few hands in the universe would be able to craft something so well uh, from something deriving from hands. Maybe that's just me, though. Uh, Aaron, did you have something to say? I was, well, yeah, I mean, you're going to regret doing this because it's a bit of a, a topic shift and, and uh, have fun kind of uh, circling back. But uh, I was just going to wonder if, specifically with the scene where he's I, very obviously like jacking off in the bathroom, uh, it was very funny. And I guess if I have one kind of general critique of this film uh, is that it is, except for that scene, kind of humorless. Uh, and, and not like in a super negative way. It is, it is very serious and emotional. Um, and I think that maybe there's an argument that like humor might kind of get in the way of some of that, but I, it's, it's not particularly funny kind of ever, uh, over the course of its 50, 55 minutes. And I think that there is a very weird, uh, like kind of gulf between, the, the serious nature of the, the film or the short film and like the actual circumstances of the plot, which are kind of inherently, despite being kind of sad, also kind of comical, right? Like this, oh, this, yeah. this film is about a guy who gets a hand job once and just is never able to like live it down for like what we Sim- don't even know, like 25 yeah, years. Who knows? My man, my man is simping on a level that is, heretofore unseen by by anyone he's a legend right yeah it's 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 and and like other than other than that the only other thing that i was able to really laugh at and i think this is unintentional but they they do the classic movie thing where they uh they show that that the 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 tailor's apprentice uh zang has grown older by giving him a mustache just a little it's like a little mustache and it's just like that that is like the and just like everybody else in this film is exactly the same age. Uh, I, again, I don't know how long it's supposed to have been, but like, that is like the, the only thing that's like, yes, time has passed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, yeah just... That was, that was something that actually kind of pissed me off because that happens like twice, right? There, there are like two time jumps. Uh, and during both of them, they keep trying to draw attention to the fact that Miss was apparently like, like destroyed, right? Like she's rendered the desolate. Attractive person and, in the world. And, and yeah, she's like, the, she's extremely hot throughout this movie. And at the end of this movie, the way that they make her look like she couldn't possibly like be worth anything anymore is they give her like a little film of sweat over her brow. And she's in lying the room. down. Yeah. She looks exactly the same as she did in the beginning of this movie. It's like, what are you, what are you talking about? 
And and even at one point, like he measures her, and this is supposed to be sort of like like a uh, a harbinger for the end is that she's gaining weight, and she has a twenty five waist. It's like okay, and he tells her a little under twenty four because he is a smooth right. fucking operator. Yeah. Oh, the only just because we were talking about Miss Hua briefly. Um, one of the, one of the things I thought of just the first. I mean, for most of this movie, she's just on the phone, and I was like, is, "Is this like a take on sorry, wrong number?" And she's just the Barbara Stanwyck character. Does she leave? <laughs> does she leave like the bed she's in or the couch? Does she ever get off the phone? Um, yeah, I, I think your points about like her, yeah, like her her growth and his growth are perfectly valid. I remember seeing the mustache for the first time, being, "Oh, nice, he's grown. Fuck yeah." <laughs> Let's do it. Oh, it, it, works. it works. Yeah. It works. We have two large stash fans on this pod right now, so we can't. Yeah, I can't shit on it too much because Cody and Jason will come to my apartment and beat me up. I think if I we will get your ass. Yeah, yeah. Your little hairless lipped ass. Damn. I, I, you know, I don't know if my inability to grow strong facial hair is something that needs to be brought up in a purely audio medium. You know, like nobody's. Mm, it seems relevant. Time. It, it, it more, seems. Pardon me, but it seems relevant. More like Baron Grossman. Holy oh, shit! Jesus Christ! <laughs> Call off the hounds. Taking pills for that, but yeah, that's fine. I, to me, the mustache is is sort of antithetical to the ideology of facial hair, uh, which is just that I don't want to shave when I get up in the morning. So, like, <laughs> that I, why why not just shave it all or shave none of it um, is what I'm thinking. But, um, you know, uh, it's, the, there's it's a, the ultimate. It's the facial hair that shows that you can grow badass facial hair. But like you, you just choose not, not to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty you good point. And have big facial hair. It is the ultimate uh like statement yeah it also makes you look like a like a colombian like general in like a civil war yes, that's a good thing i think yeah it's pretty it's pretty sick yeah it's also the only facial hair you can have if you're ever gonna wear a turtleneck and you love fucking turtlenecks oh yeah. one and i do like it quite a bit Anyway, yeah, it I, seems like you I might have like a point. You're a, turtle, you're a turtle. Yeah, uh, there's just a lot to there, there's a lot to dig into here, right? Like there is first of all the the literal, and I'm you know again sorry, but like the symbolism of the hand job and what it represents, and then um, I want to talk about um, the mirrors that Cody brought up and what uh, Miss Hua is doing, like both for herself and for her clientele because I think that's really important. And then like tailoring is very important here. Right. Because like the thing about this is that when she literally brings out of him via a hand job, right. Um, the, the need to be a tailor, he, she says like, you can't be a tailor if you've never touched a woman. Um, you have to remember this feeling and this is how you'll design beautiful clothes for me because you'll think of this, you'll think of this experience you're having, which is very Wong Kar Wai, but also this is the the service that she provides to her clientele, right? She's a, she's a high-end call girl. We see her in mirrors. We see her wearing beautiful clothing. She is giving her clientele the ability to have the um, feelings that they need to be who they are and to do the things they do, not just this tailor, but everyone. That is sort of like the symbolism of her profession. And that is why she needs to be this this dream, this person who sees herself in mirrors, who is so languid and in control and powerful. Um, and, and she needs to wear these, these clothes, right. And live the way she does and have these expensive habits. It's all a part of the fantasy that she is literally selling and that she also gives to, um, 
her tailor, uh, Zhao Zhang. So they are partners in the most literal sense, right? Like at the end of the movie, um, he says, I became a tailor because of you. Um, Roger Ebert, in a, in a rare moment of um, lucidity for him, I'm just kidding. He's one of the best film critics of all time. Uh, but he, he says that that is the highest compliment that he could possibly pay to her. And she knows it. And that's exactly right. Right. It's like, that's, a, that's a, the ultimate validation of not only his identity, but her identity is saying that you gave this to me. You gave me the ability to be this way. You brought it out of me, which is what she's been trying to do her whole life, which is why I made that crack about the giving tree. <laughs> Because it's true, right? Like I think that's what that's what she was all about, and um, and he, through his entire life, was trying to prove to her that she had the ability to do that because she did it to him. And so, like the tragedy of this movie at the end is that they are both sort of failing, right? And through no fault of their own, but just through time, because his clothes no longer fit her, and she can no longer provide that to her clients. And so like their partnership is, is coming to an end because neither of them can sustain it anymore. And it's a failure yeah. equally on both of their parts. Yeah. I mean, just a quick note before Aaron jumps in on the end, that particularly lines up with like, even right at the end, even when she's dying, even when she's like unable to fully consummate or whatever, uh, she's, you know, given him one last handy and she won't let him kiss her. Like she, even to that point, even that to that point, she up, tries to uphold that, that fantasy that she tries to be for her clients, even, you know, with all of the unspoken, whatever they've got between each other. It's like, she remains to that as best she can. Yeah, I, I would hop in and that I, I agree with what you are saying, Harry, and I get Jason, I agree with what you said there. I think that I am a little, I mean, I think the point of this kind of symbolic or thematic point about uh, the, the job of a tailor or uh, a sex worker kind of being this maybe a slightly more nebulous uh, kind of uh, thing about how people view themselves and, and how they how they view the person that they're with. I think that that's interesting, but I think that this film is also saying that is only worthwhile up until a certain point. And that is only worthwhile up until you can also fulfill the practical. Uh, uh, really good point. Duties, yeah, right. Really good um, point. Miss Hua is not only like aging and like, you know, uh, uh, kind of she no longer represents kind of this young, attractive call girl. That is true. Uh, but she's also worse at doing her job due to the how aging works. Right. The same thing uh, that ha will happen, uh, we can kind of assume uh, to Zhang as he gets older. Right. Like, I think we have the character of. Uh, uh, oh, who is it? Master Jin as kind of like an interesting comparison right. point. There's a, there's a line near the beginning of this movie um, where Miss Hua says, and I don't have the exact quote, but she mentions her saying like, you know, hey, you could become my tailor. Master Jin is not going to be around forever. You yep. know, you can yeah, be my exactly. tailor after he passes. Except at the end of the movie, she is dead and, and he is not, right? Because uh, Hua is at the, uh, by the end of the movie, Hua is at the, the bottom of her totem pole for her profession. And Zhang is kind of near the top as a, as supposedly. He's a rising. Tailor. Yeah. Um, There's a master slave dialectic there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and she falls much more than Zhang rises, right? So there's this kind of very interesting kind of class comparison. But also at the end of the day, these are people who whose jobs relies on their physical bodies. And the, the, when they eventually give out, what who, who is going to take care of you? What are you going to do for work? How are you going to live? Uh, I think that's not like a, a new thing. That's a thing that like a lot of some, even my personal kind of favorite books and movies look at. But um, I think that that is like an interesting point that this movie is still so 
focused on like the practical elements of those occupations. And I'm, I'm really, really glad you said that because, um, frankly, like, unfortunately for, for me, that's sort of a weakness of mine, right? Is that I, I tend to get wrapped up in the, the symbolism and the, the ideas that are at play that I forget that like the, the material realities being represented are exactly as important as the symbolic realities being played with there, right? Like yeah. this, this is not, and the reason this movie sings is not just because of what all of these things represent. It's because of what they are, right? Like, like these are these are people who need who have needs and and have to have their needs met and like the the tragedy is not just the symbolic tragedy of losing their ability to self actualize it's also the tragedy of bodies just being destroyed and that is where the sort of um the the real politic and um tragedy of of life comes into this instead of just the tragedy of sort of literature or um art as i was uh, referring to it so i'm really glad that you pointed that out well yeah i mean i I still think that you're right i mean i think that the 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 interesting thing that Wong Kar Wai has been able to do is to be able to present both of those. I mean, I, I think it's easy maybe to look at Wong Kar Wai's films as these kind of vibey, spacey, you know, uh, trippy dream sequences. But I do think that there is like a, a very large amount of substance to to each of his films. Um, and, you know, I think specifically with this, and I, I kind of alluded to this when I, I kind of summed up my thoughts at the beginning, but like, I think an interesting part of this film is it is able to say a lot of the same stuff in that manner that say Chung King Express did. It's that Chung King Express is 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 taking place uh in the midst of like massive, massive globalization in the nineties. I think it is not like easy, but it is like a little more of like an easy point to make about like commercialization and like how uh, uh kind of a changing economic system like dehumanizes us right and how that impacts our right like i think that's like it's not like an easy thing to do that movie is like very skillfully done but like that that is like a thematic point that like kind of makes natural sense to me and i think the fact that like he is now saying okay i'm gonna go back now we're in 1960s hong kong uh and we're kind of taking it a completely different look at like the context uh uh in comparison to most of the other films that i've made um and the fact that he's still able to do something that is kind of similar is, is I think very impressive to me. I think that's something that I thought about a lot as I watched this film. And he leans so hard into the literal physicality, which for a movie called Eros about sensuality is also really important, right? Like when, when we talk about the hand, we're not just talking about the, the symbolism, like Jason alluded to, we're talking about the literal hand, like the hand is, is failing, right? Like, like these, these are people, this, the point that this is, making which is the same point that that so many great uh works as you alluded to aaron make about um about the working class is that people's ability to self-determine to be the people they want to be to be human because to be human is to self-determine right like that is the right of all humans is dependent on their material realities and their material circumstances. And like so many sort of great working class um, polemics that this is um, talking about how fundamentally unfair that is and and how that, that is, it predisposes people who have, it's, it's essentially saying that that people with the material circumstances to self-determine are the only people in a, in a society where those things are necessary who get to be human, right? And that's just as true in the 1960s as it is today. But like the fact that we're back in the 1960s when the materialism is 
uh, so important allows him to to say that to make that message in a, in a much more physical sense than he could in something like Chunking Express, where we have to talk about technology and um, how those things interrelate. So yeah, that's a that's a fantastic point. It is now building from what Aaron said and Harry's comments on it. Uh, this is the last question I'm going to ask, but like, to what extent is it also saying that that self actualization is? I mean, of course, it's dependent upon dependent upon one's uh, material opportunity and sort of their station in life, what profession they have, and you know how profitable it is, or uh, you know, sort of the class differential there. But to what extent is it also saying that that self actualization is dependent on on others, on other people? Like, clearly, Zhang is. I think uh, I, I forget which one of you said it, but Zhang is. Um, it's sort of a like an out of whack differential of who is gaining and who is you know how how people are moving through their lives. Zhang manages to move quite far ahead in his station. He becomes like her preferred tailor. He grows a mustache for Christ's sakes. And, and she only, you know, begins to deteriorate and, you know, is literally dead by the end, by the end of the film. Uh, so is, is it, is it saying the same thing about like the necessity of self-actualizing through others, uh, as it is about like self-actualizing through your opportunity, through your profession and station? Uh, well, I think they're, they're kind of tied up, right? Like, I think that the, the the title the hand i mean there's obvious there's the kind of obvious uh you know kind of sexual meaning there i think that uh that zhang is also the hand right like he is he Yo. is defined by his relationship uh to uh master jin right he is he is an, oh, in the beginning of the okay. film, he is an apprentice an apprentice is the correct word the apprentice uh to uh kind of this tailor uh he is also uh at the beginning, he's also Miss Hua's hand, right? Like he is her servant in a way. He, she has this this business relationship where he is her tailor, right? And that is kind of the those two things are kind of the main rifts that are always barriers that are always in the way from them actually having any sort of relationship. Uh, and that they are they are still from different classes, right? Uh, and that there is this kind of defined relationship at the beginning of the film that kind of is always in play. Uh, and both of them know it. And that is, I think, driving a lot of the kind of aching that they feel. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably probably Zhang quite a bit more than Miss Wa, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I think that he is he is very much more longing in that manner. Maybe I'm misreading. Right. No, I, I think that's right. There's that really heartbreaking scene where they basically like they put it all out on the table. And it, it's like clear that that Miss Hua is sort of like making flirty conversation and that uh, Zhang is like dead serious where, where she's like, well, I guess like you and I will just have to get married. It's like the classic, like if neither of us is married when we turn 40, let's just get married sort of thing. Except Zhang is like, yes, OK, let's do it. And then like there's a beat. And then she's like, anyway, I need you to make me a new dress so that I can go see this John because this is maybe my last chance. It's, it's the, it's the end of, it's the end of the sun also rises, uh, very much. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I actually, I don't know. I kind of wanted to go off on like a tangent about, uh, old man in the sea when we were talking about like physical, physical labor and whatnot. I will tell you, yeah. all that. but this film feels very, uh, this could totally get read in the wrong way, but this film, this film feels very Hemingway in actually a lot of ways to me. Uh, but in that it's also about erectile dysfunction. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I mean, the sun also, I don't, don't want to spoil the sun also rises, but the sun, uh, the sun yeah, isn't, isn't the only thing that's rising. Unfortunately yeah, in that, in that book, it is. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, yeah. So, I believe his balls are just gone. Yeah. He, yeah. yeah. So yeah. the sun is, uh, there yeah. might be other things rising, but perhaps not the things you want. <laughs> not the sun specifically. Yes. Oh, Christ. Um, uh, 
Yeah, I would. I would just like to to echo Aaron's point. Who's uh, who's kind of spit in this episode? Go off, King. Uh, but um, just to say that, like, I think that that in a really interesting way, Jason, what what you asked about um, the the idea that self determination is dependent on others that is in and of itself a, a kind of material reality, right? Which is also something that the hand can allude to, right? Like hands touch and connect and they are our gateways to the sensual world the feeling world right and in order to self-define you need to have someone to perceive you right like you can't there there's a sense in which the presented self the the self that self-determines it needs to be perceived right um, that's the, the, uh, what's that meme? The, um, the mortifying ordeal of being known is the only way to, to receive love. Um, and, and that intersects with all of the other material realities we've been discussing, right? Because it's like, in order to be perceived in this way, you have to perform in a certain way, which means you have to have clothing, which means you have to interact with people in certain ways, which means you have to have money, which means et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So like, yeah, like I think that that's totally right. And that this movie is making all of those connections. Uh, I have the usual, uh, uh, the, the patented Aaron Grossman bit, uh, the one bit every year. I think I will try and be funny on this podcast once. Uh, and I come up with one bit that lasts about two weeks. Uh, can we do that? Is it time? Should we do it? Yeah. Can you, can you really quick recap what you've given the other apartments? Well, okay. So yes. So this is the, we are of course talking about the Aaron Grossman, Wong Kar Wai film department quality index. Uh, now there is a quick problem that we should point out and that we are recording this kind of out of whack, right? Uh, so I will just say that if you are interested in previous scores from previous episodes, including films that you may have heard us talk about, such as Happy Together and In the Mood for Love, go back and listen to those episodes. Uh, but yes, this is, again, the bit where we uh, talk about the apartments in Wong Kar Wai's films and kind of try and see what might be going on there. And, and again, also, there's a scientific component where we objectively rate out of 10 uh, the apartment. Now, I think the apartment that we kind of have to look at in this film is Miss Hua's apartment. I mean, can anybody else think of a very prominent apartment? I think that's kind of the one as far as the hand goes. It seems like the Taylors probably live in that that. Yeah. Um, place but you're right but we don't see, we don't see their actual like correct sleeping which, which living space. from that. judgment here we yeah. see them hanging out and like playing cards which is pretty chill i did send yeah, that that's one pretty to good the, to the fellows and say hey we're gonna do this when quarantine ends hell so yeah that was pretty good um but yes i now I, I do have a quick problem though with uh there there's kind of a uh a casualty here with some of the changing filmmaking techniques that that uh wong kar wai is utilizing in this film in that uh he's using a lot more kind of steel shots, right? And he's, he's, you know, showing a, a kind of a scene reflected in a mirror and all this kind of very artsy stuff that I think works really well. We don't get a great view of the layout of this apartment. I mean, do, do you guys disagree? Like, I feel true. like we're, nope, that's we're true. Kind of we see just a couple angles. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing a corner. We're seeing a close up of some faces. Even there's a conversation and he'll just focus on one person, the entire conversation. Cause like, he's like, yeah, this is, I'm an artiste, you know, uh, that kind of thing. There's one, uh, there's one incredible shot where Miss Hua's dress, which is like this dark oh yeah. purple flower dress, like matches the wallpaper behind her really well. And she looks like she's a part of the room. And like that, that was some like really good shit. But yeah, for the most part, like 
Mishwa is like obscured, right? Which means that by necessity, the apartment itself is also obscured, which actually might be like, like that's definitely a a part of the larger idea, right? Is that like even these rooms, these rich rooms are inaccessible. You're kind of hairy. You're, 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 you're kind of taking my bit, man, with these great. uh, No, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, a big fan because I actually don't have too much to say about this apartment. I will say that I think that the it's it's nicely designed. It looks pretty nice. There's a lot of like kind of floral accents. It is very like a uh, very like purple and kind of dark pink. I mean, maybe a little bit of greens here and there. It's like a very interesting looking apartment. Um, I, I honestly don't have too much to say about it. I know that there there is kind of some interesting stuff to say about uh, her residence and how she also kind of does her work there. Actually, yeah, we want to talk about the the tailors living in that place, and that's also where they do business. That's also where she does business, though. Think about it. There's something to think about there. Yeah. Um, but I was gonna I was gonna give this a uh, a seven out of ten. And I hate to come to that conclusion so fast without really justifying it, but it feels like there's not as much here taking a look at apartment living life compared to some of his other films. But I do think it is a nice looking apartment. Uh, I think it's generally well kept together. Maybe it's not as flashy as some of his other uh, apartments so far, but I think, I think a seven out of 10 feels right. Does anybody disagree with that? I disagree. I, I, I'm sorry. What? I don't disagree. I don't, I don't oh. disagree, but I'm wondering what were the ratings again? How, where, what, what, where does this land among the other ones we've, we've uh, rated? Well, uh, if we are uh, taking this in chronological yes, just what we've seen so far yeah this is technically the highest right and part of that is because there's no massive amounts of violence or uh you know uh, i think not that a single of, woman breaks into this apartment which puts it miles ahead of most yeah. this isn't a cop's apartment you know uh that again uh the the the, the wah from uh, as tears go by is not like uh keeping glasses women. down and saying yeah he's not assaulting women in here so i think that that this is easily probably the best apartment we've seen so far again happy together and uh and in the mood for love may uh pull out a hit but that's that's my opinion seven out of ten interesting uh, so are we not are we not counting the hostel at the end of this movie as an apartment either that just occurred to me uh i mean that's gonna tank the ratings i mean if we're averaging man i that's gonna that's gonna tank it real bad it looks like it was made entirely of like linoleum tile which is brutal It's it's very much like a place where you unfortunately go to die when you're sick. Uh, it's very sad, very sad sequences. Very I'm going to leave it in order to respect the memory of Miss Wah, who I like as a character quite a bit. I'm going to give this a seven and not consider uh, her her final resting place. Solid. We we have to remember her as she would want to be remembered, as uh, her tailor remembers her at the end of the movie. See, we're doing it just like him. We are give indeed our, doing it. Give ourselves a hand. Um, before we move into the last segment, I just wanted to shout out one particular shot that I that I was completely blown away by, uh, which is after the the first time jump when Miss Hua comes back. Um, there's this incredible shot where we we haven't seen uh, Zhang again yet, but we see his master in the the Taylor Studio, and um, so we see the the camera and uh, the master is in the middle of it, and then he says like she's back or like Miss Hua's back. And I believe maybe I'm wrong, but I believe that, that Wong Kar Wai breaks the 180 rule and completely spins the camera around so that now we're, we're seeing the perspective of the master Taylor. And Zhang is 
out of the frame so that we only see like half of his ear and the empty hallway behind him. And the empty hallway is a recurring symbol motif in this movie. And then he steps backward into frame and then turns to front face the camera and like gives this look. And he's still like barely in the shot. Like he, he takes up like the 10% at the bottom of the shot so that most of the frame is still the empty, um, hallway behind him but now he's in the shot and he's looking at the camera like he's stepping back into the movie and it's like it was like the most hype like ah shit like here we go again moment i kept imagining that like imminence front by the who was gonna play as he like went over to get miss hua back it was it was great that's a great shot uh i really love the shot where i really love that like in the absence of many real action shots in this movie again there's not not much in the way of violence or like chase scenes or anything in the absence of that, all of Wong Kar Wai's low FPS, like slow-mo shots are just like really like there's one that's just a panning shot of Miss Wai in her apartment. There's another that's a panning shot of Zhang in his apartment uh, working on a piece of clothing and just like sort of really, really getting intimate with this piece of clothing of hers. I loved that this movie still found a way to fit those in like that was thematically appropriate, but that wasn't like that, in a way we'd seen them where... played before. Right. There's that part where he fists the dress. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but that I can't think of a better he, description, right? Well, that's what he He's does. Like He's like all the way to the fucking elbow. <laughs> and achieving sexual gratification by fisting this dress. This is going uh, to be the clip in our tweet about the episode. So thank you for that, Harry. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, oh, good. Uh, well, I want to leave the door open to anybody else who has uh, a final, sorry, a, a, a favorite shot before we go into our last segment. I love all well, the tailoring shots. I think that tailoring as like a, a symbol and metaphor for this movie just works super well. It's like obvious, right? But like tailoring is such a good profession for this. Like there's there's touching uh, of each other, of the dress. There's like careful, methodical work. It's beautiful. It's just really, really good. There's judgment. There's art. There's science. There's love. Yeah. Um, I shouted out the like the cross-cutting couple of shots between her preparing food and him uh um what was he doing uh, doing eating something with his hands. he was eating food yeah you know a, a to b um the uh there was one prolonged shot uh i, I mean there were a few shots where he was ironing but there was one that kind oh, of yeah. for a little bit uh that was steamy um you know in an additional way too um but anyways that's <laughs> one that i uh was uh attracted to there's a really, really funny shot in that same sequence, Cody, where uh, we see her opening the, the dumpling and like she runs her hands over the rice like really slowly. And then it cuts immediately to him. And he looks like a like a snake has just unhinged that just unhinged its jaw <laughs> where he just like he fucking inhales this thing. Like he just like opens his and it's so funny. It's like, yeah, we get it. Like, Wong, we got gotcha. you. Like, we know what's um, happening. Yeah, we're, 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 we're or in the mouth. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, then, I think we have one more segment to introduce before we call this podcast one in the one in the can uh harry one in the hand yeah i would love to it's time for (gasps) cody's noties all right that one came off the rails a little bit um we'll we'll get it back um but regardless thank you uh as always for the very warm introduction uh, by certain definitions of a, a feature-length film, uh, The Hand, despite being casually referred to as a short film, both 
by us on this episode and uh, and in the few places I checked online would be the shortest feature length film Wong Kar Wai has ever made. Uh, and as a gimmick, I figured it might be fun to look back on the most, um, we'll say, compact works from others in the industry in a little segment called The Big Shorts. Uh, it's topical, get it? Um, good times. Uh, the rules are simple. Uh, I will vaguely allude to the shortest movie from blank. And when you have a guess as to what that movie is, raise your little Zen, cast your hand. I'll call on whoever's first. I'll deliberate on correctness and point distribution. Everyone gets one guess per round. Pretty straightforward stuff, I think. Um, some background, um, kind of what I was alluding to earlier, The uh, as far as what makes a feature-length film, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, the American Film Institute, and the British Film Institute all assert that a feature film must technically run for more than 40 minutes. So that's kind of the, uh, the realm within which we'll operate um, in its broadest sense. Uh, that being said, these have been catered toward works that are hopefully within all of our respective wheelhouses, um, though I do have a few clues on standby just in case. Um, and they don't take into account fringe things like making of featurettes um so no worries there uh as always use your noodles not your googles and together we'll find out whomst among us is the short king um if that sounds good we can uh we can get going with uh with number one here um and uh we'll start with wes anderson what's his shortest feature film i'm looking for zencaster hands what is wes anderson's shortest feature film uh, I see Jason first, and then it'll go to Harry if Jason is wrong. Jason, what's your guess? Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. I haven't seen enough of his movies. Fantastic Mr. Fox is correct. Uh, Jason is on the board. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox released in 2009, uh, runtime of 87 minutes. Um, next up would be, and this is just like for memory, Bottle Rocket, the feature length version. Yeah. Next. It's like five to 10 minutes longer. Um, but yeah, Fantastic, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, for our purposes. How do you all feel about Fantastic Mr. Fox? I enjoyed it when I watched it, but I watched it the last time, like or first and last time, like five years ago. So I need to watch it again before I really care. That's fair. I've seen, I've seen like two Wes Anderson films. Just a holy shit! I just you know just a. I used to live across the street from an Urban Outfitters, so I don't need to. It's fine. Coming soon to Try Love. <laughs> yeah, I, I, just, I mean, just makes good movies. Just... We're, we're we're four white dudes. I figured we would all have like kind of tangential at the very least knowledge of Wes Anderson. I remember Harry logged uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox during one of the past couple of autumns. Um, so I knew it was at least on one of our radar. Yeah, it's like an annual watch for me. I love that movie. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, but I remember uh, I remember it fondly, and maybe I'll I'll rewatch it now. Um, good times. Shout out to Mr. Fox. Come on the pod. Um. But next up, number two, uh, we have Joel Cohen. What's his shorty? That's a weird way to put that, and I will Ugh. probably refer to it as that going forward. Um, what's his? What's the shortest film that he's directed? Uh, Jason, I see your hand. I'm what's just going to say I, I don't know at all, so I'm just going to say um, True Grit. True Grit is the guess. True Grit is not the answer. I see Harry's hand next. Harry, I'm just going to guess Blood Simple. Blood Simple, a good guess. Uh, it was certainly in contention, um, but that is uh, not the answer. Aaron, uh, I, it's all on you, baby. What you got? Um, the Lady Killers. Lady Killers, another valiant effort. Okay. Um, all right. <laughs> what? Fine. It was <laughs> no, a shitty effort. Can we go around again? Uh, nobody will get points, but if somebody wants to guess, Harry? Oh, uh, I... I'm probably wrong, but isn't Fargo pretty short? Uh, it is short-ish. Um, 
and I, I, it is uh, another one that's kind of in that that realm of like I want to say like a hundred, hundred and five minutes. Not the okay. Jason Barton Fink. Let's just oh, name I, all yeah, of the Coen Brothers movies. Uh, the answer, right. the answer is uh, is Raising Arizona. Um, oh, I, I, sure. um, released in 1987. Um, there were the if if everybody was stuck and unable to guess, I would have said we recorded an episode on it, and I would have tossed out. Why don't you name him Jason? Um, which I believe Francis. <laughs> that's another movie that I adore. That I think you guys are like lukewarm on, but that's interesting. Yeah, it's less like it. No, we all yeah. rated it within a half star of each other on Letterboxd. Um, Ooh, so nice try, Harry. Um, in any case, uh, so Jason is still the only one on the board with points. Um, one this, zero, can, zero. can we just appreciate it? it's not going to last? But I just want to appreciate this. I'm I'm not hey. only on the board, but I am actually the only know. one on the board. You never know, Big Daddy. Um, we've got our our third shorty coming up here. Uh, I'm gonna need from from y'all, or at least one of y'all, the shortest Fast and Furious movie. The shortest Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> oh uh, God. Um, I w- Aaron's the only one with a sustained hand up. Aaron, Too Fast, Too Furious. Too Fast, Too Furious is the guess. Too Fast, Too Furious is not the oh. answer. Harry, what you got? Ah, uh, the first one, the Fast and the Furious. Uh, the Fast and the Furious is also incorrect. What? Um, Damn. Jason, incorrect. you have like one other one it possibly could be because they all ballooned to 19 hours. <laughs> Jason, yeah, I was going to say like all of them after five are like three and a half hours. I, I love Fast and Furious, man. But yeah, they're all like two and a half hours after. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'm just going to say the third one. What is the third one, Jason? Yeah, can you give us the name of the third film in the Fast and Furious? Is it Fast and Furious? Oh, Jason, no, that's the this fourth is one. really shameful. Okay, is your get is your guess Tokyo Drift? Or My Fast guess is Tokyo Drift. <laughs> I, I credit your co-host for kind of easing you into the right direction there. But yeah, Tokyo Thank Drift you. is the correct answer. Whew. Yeah, okay. it's we went. Yeah. How Jason? Jason, how of all of the Fast and Furious movies, how is that the one you forget? It's not the one tied to any sort of naming convention, like weird bullshit naming convention. Uh, you know what? Yeah, you're I, the I, Japan uh, guy. Yeah. Okay. Wait. He's okay. the Japan guy on the yeah, I, don't, I don't know how. I don't really. Yeah. Know he's the second yeah. highest Japan guy. Very I've never even been there. When you think about it, so well, I guess I am the resident Japan guy. But like, okay, okay. Yeah. Does that make me a Japan guy in general? I don't know. Go ahead. That's that's two for Jason. Two dubs for Jason. <laughs> two two for. Uh, we can't let him get away with this, Aaron. <laughs> Yeah, the peanut gallery is is wilding right now. Um, we're at we're at number four now. Uh, and for number four, I will need from one of you the shortest Hayao Miyazaki directed Studio Ghibli film. Jason, Kiki's Delivery Service. Kiki's Delivery Service is the guess, and it's an incorrect one. Aaron, Fuck. what's your guess? Uh, my neighbor Totoro. My neighbor Totoro gets Aaron a point oh, for oh, this shit. question. Yeah, you got it. My okay, I was going to say, oh, it was a castle in the sky. No, okay. Uh, 1988, uh, My Neighbor Totoro coming in at a snug 86 minutes. Ooh, very nice. Um, Incredible so, uh, that the best movie I, ever made is 86 that, minutes long. I saw exactly. somebody on Letterboxd rate that, and they rated it like a three, which like, yes, Un- it's a bad. Unreal. I, no, I mean, look, I, if someone thinks that's, uh, if they like it, a three, whatever, it's their own personal preference, but the review said uh, no, it not. doesn't justify its length. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like 82 minutes long. <laughs> anyway, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's uh that is uh what we say. Uh it's it's fucked up. Um, but uh the only thing more fucked up than that is maybe the last 
question <laughs> that we have for this game. We'll see how this goes. Um, first off, the one guest limit will be lifted for this fifth and final round. Uh, but you'll only be able to issue one guess at a time. Um, so for the purposes of this, that means raising your Zencaster hand, putting it down once you've guessed, and then raising it again for a new guess. Uh, any attempts to undermine this system will, you know, if you're trying to get more than one guess in for a single hand raise, you will be disqualified. So don't say, I didn't warn you, sons of guns. Um, so with that out of the way, the hand is the shortest film we've ever discussed for an episode. For an additional point for each correct guess, name one of the uh, seven other such films that we've discussed that are shorter than 80 minutes. Um, mine went up first. Not... Mine, mine went up first. His, his did okay. go up first. He needs, okay, he needs a handicap. I was, I, I was busy reading the script and I didn't the see it, handicap. but Aaron and then Jason and then Harry. So Aaron, you're uh, up first. I'm going to go a detour. I'm going to go a detour. Aaron's going to go a detour. He uh, gets that point. Um, uh, Jason, you were up next. The Pleasure Garden. The Pleasure Garden, another uh, correct guess. So both of y'all get points for that. Um, Harry. Uh, Forbidden Planet and... Um, what, uh, no, no, no. Oh, one, guess, one, guess, one guess. One guess. Uh, for, Forbidden Planet is incorrect. Shit. Uh, put your hand down, you Weisenheimer. Uh, Aaron, uh, you got your hand up again. What's your guess? Uh, raising Arizona. Raising Arizona. Is inc- <laughs> I just said there was 94 <laughs> uh, uh, Jason, your guess. Uh, this is not going to be a we'll good guess, on, but we'll keep going yo, into our yo, yo Jimbo. So, yo Jimbo is incorrect. That is <clears> like a half hour. Yo Jimbo is like two fucking hours, two and a half. What are you it's talking? not that that long. Uh, yes, yes, it is. I'm looking for any other Aaron. Uh, Sanjuro. <laughs> you oh, ass. That's even longer. Sanjuro. Yeah, like 24 minutes longer than Yo Jimbo. You. Stop. Wait. We t- we talked about that. That's that won the Rashomani's that one year, right? I, I, yeah, well, I yeah, but I, I think we didn't do Rashomani's. Did we? Am I? Yeah, we definitely. I did. think so. Hold on, we've done them. That's an hour thirty-six. Yo, Jimbo is I, oh, shit. longer than an hour fucking thirty-six, oh, uh, buddy. One hour. It's not going to get you. Po- it's not going to get you a point, but it gets you a little bit less owned than you were. Yes, yeah. one uh, one hundred and ten. Yeah. I've had enough. It just I, feels I, longer, I guess. And I'm 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 really yeah. blanking. Uh, All right. Uh, all right, Aaron, you got your hand up once more. Uh, Koyana Scotsy. Uh, close, but no. Fuck you. How long is uh, Carrie? Too long. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you, can you start giving us hints, or is it all nope. or nothing here? Uh, I if I if we're tapped out of legitimate guesses, I will just read them off, and the round will end. I will run a countdown. Five foot, Harry. Uh, son of the White Mare. Uh, another close one, uh, but no cigar. Um, and just to put a, a time limit on these, we'll, we'll say everybody gets one more guess. Cause I feel like we're getting exhausted, uh, but son of the white mare, uh, again, close, but, uh, no cigar, cigarillo, uh, pick your poison. Jason first. And then Aaron brute force brute force. Good guess. Uh, good guess, but, uh, unfortunately not a correct one. Aaron darn motherfucker. Wasn't even I, on that. Uh, episode. I don't have a, I was just wanted to, lo- uh, I'll, I'll do, uh, uh, enter the, enter the dragon. Uh, enter the dragon is a, a no go. Um, Harry gets our last guess. Uh, it's a bad one. Uh, na- naked shitty, naked shitty. Uh, sorry, Jules descend. Um, but your movie is not shorter than 80 minutes here. Here, uh, here are the movies that were in consideration for this fine honor. Um, first off, we had three movies that we discussed that were tied at 78 minute runtimes. 
uh i included a goofy movie um and we didn't get a goofy movie so shout outs to goofy movie um also juniper tree and lavender hill mob were both 78 minutes long um Pleasure Garden was guest, and that one came in at 75 minutes. Uh, Fantastic Planet. Uh, Fantastic. That's what I meant. Yep. Uh, 72 minutes. Um, the Invisible Man was a 71-minute joint. And uh, the final one, Detour, uh, of course, 1945, 67 minutes long. Um, the hand at 56 minutes, though. I straight up don't remember recording a lot of those. <laughs> and I feel it bad shows. About, I feel bad about the in- Invisible Man because that was recent-ish. No, that that one. Yeah, that, that one. I remember that. I was gonna say if I uh, if I paid anybody here ten dollars to tell me the plot of the Lavender Hill Mob. Uh, oh, I could do you, it now. Yeah, for sure. It? I was gonna yeah. say I was thinking about like Passport to Pimlico, and was like I couldn't fucking. I, Passport I couldn't. to Pimlico was another. Uh, honestly, all of those Ealing Studios movies were hovering yeah, around sure. like ninety five minutes and shorter. Pimlico, Pimlico was eighty something minutes. Um, my my only other my kind of postscript note for this bit is that uh, contrary to popular belief, um, not really contrary to popular belief, uh, Rashomon, the famed inspiration for the Rashomonis, as well as the Rashomon rule, which is that no film needs to be longer than Rashomon, a perfect film released in 1950 and directed by Akira Kurosawa, is not the shortest film Akira Kurosawa has ever directed. Uh, that honor, of course, as we all know, goes to The Men Who Tread on the Tiger's Tail, uh, released ah, in of course. Yeah, wow. nobody gets that point. Uh, according to Letterboxd, it is 59 minutes long, and it's on the Criterion channel. Ooh, we should watch that. Yeah, as are literally three quarters of the films Kurosawa has ever made. It's something like 25 out of 33 films he's directed are on the Criterion channel. So that's cool. Um, Shout out to Kurosawa. And yet they can't put Stray Dog on Blu-ray. Justice for Stray Dog. Justice for Stray Dog. Those were the big shorts. Um, the big shorties, whatever you Woo! Like. Uh, can we get a recap, a rundown of the uh, the leaderboard? <laughs> I, feel like, I, feel, I, feel, I feel like I had something that they like to call the upper hand. Harry, so, I, uh, uh, I know we had talked earlier about letting Jason have this one because we, we could tell that he was kind of feeling oh, bad. Oh, it's still, it's still, it's still, uh, it's look, still it's, hurts. Look, man, look, I know we we threw it for Jason because he just he feels like he just needs it, you know? So I'm happy. You're right. Uh, Jason, you're right. Don't listen, you know, happy, happy birthday, Jason. Just to be able to catch it, you know, it's a, just, it's a good enough uh, uh, honor for me to, to recap the scores here um jason came out on top with uh three points uh aaron followed up with two and harry had a uh he he drew a, a big old a stinker uh zero points for the for the day sorry harry better luck next time um congrats to jason harry we agreed we were gonna both get two though so i don't know what happened you said you would get but i don't deserve, never, i don't remember this <laughs> Well, well, this has been our episode about the hand. Uh, Harry, why did why did you breathe in? Was it that was? A, uh, I was just gonna say, gotta hand it to you, Jason. Uh, yes, you do. I appreciate that one. Actually, I'm not I'm not exasperated by that at all. Uh, this has been our episode on the hand, uh, a 2004 film by Wong Kar Wai, part of Eros, which you can find streaming. I believe last time I saw it, it was on Amazon. Um, but uh, the extended cut, sorry, you snoozed and you lost on a streaming promotion that was put on by, I forget, Kino Lorber, I think, uh, that ended in January. Um, so better luck next time, or maybe, I guess, the long-awaited Wong Kar Wai box set coming out through Criterion sometime in 2021. Uh, you can find our podcast at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and Trilon.org. Buy tickets and merch there. Uh, until next time, I am Jason Daphnis, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. 
I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Uh, this episode was longer than uh, the movie itself, um, but I hope you found this conversation handy. I just want to apologize to all my fans. I know I let you down this time around, um, and it's not going to happen again. You know, we all have off days. Sometimes we all need a hand, um, and I'm, I'm hoping that you'll stick with me, um, much like Zhang stuck with Miss Hua, even when her uh, powers, if you will, started to leave her. I've been Harry. Um, I will be back. I will be back on top. Until then, you can find me at Shitaki Harry. I'm Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at RB Please. I also got to give a, a hand to us. I think we all did a good job. And I hope you, uh, the listeners, come along with us on another uh, episode in the future. I want to thank you. If it hadn't been for your hand, I wouldn't have made a podcast. <laughs>